everybody, I'm Ashton Demery. And I'm Nicole Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study, where it's been a long time, but this book hasn't gotten any better. Today, we are back in, now we're in 2 Kings, uh, which is really just a continuation of 1 Kings. But as we said before, this would have originally been 4th Kings, uh, and 1st and 2nd Kings got changed to 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then 3rd and 4th Kings became... First and second kings. So to summarize kind of where we left off, we just had the uh, death of Ahab. He joins the joint campaign with Jehoshaphat against Aram. And they had that one guy who predicted failure and they kept, they usually just ask a different prophet because they don't like his prophecies, but they decided to just ignore him and go to war anyways. And ultimately results in Ahab's death, which was prophesied, but as we said before, uh, not quite the way it happened. It wasn't in the right place. And because he was, he humbled himself in the end, they sort of changed it so that his children would survive for a while, but then they're all going to get massacred later anyways. Right. So now we are starting off with Ahaziah, who has taken over for Ahab. Yes. So Ahaziah is king. And we open with him like falling through a lattice or a window or something of the sort. And he injures himself like really badly. So everybody's like, oh no, like is the king going to live through this? So he asks them to go ask Baalzebub if he will recover. And an angel comes to Elijah and is like, hey, pss, 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 they're asking Baalzebub uh, whether or not the king will live, which of course makes Elijah super angry and he's like what is like there no god in this place and that's why you guys have to go ask Baalzebub like if you're gonna live or not instead of come ask me so then Elijah is basically like well you're gonna die so the messengers relay the news back to Ahaziah which is pretty standard if you're a king of Israel at this point you're just kind of expecting a prophet to come tell you that you're gonna die at some point or another yeah it's bound to happen yeah so the messengers are like, this guy said that you're going to die. And he's like, who said that? And they're like, this like really hairy man who wears a leather belt. He's like, Elijah, are you guys talking about Elijah? There's only one guy who's yeah. hairy and wears a leather belt. <laughs> I was like, how does that not describe everybody at this time, period? <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's mad at Elijah for prophesying his death. So he sends 50 men to go after him. And Elijah asks God to smite them for him, which he does. And so then the king just sends 50 more men, and God smites those men too. And so then the king learns nothing, does it a third time. <laughs> well, it's, it's really Elijah's fault, because you're always supposed to leave one, right? To, to let go them back. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't, doesn't John Wick do well, what that? Does he he think, usually leaves one What does to he tell think everybody. is happening? Like, nobody's coming back. Like, <laughs> But... Yeah, so he sends his third set of 50 men and a captain to go take down Elijah. But this captain is like, I don't know, I guess smart and says he asks for mercy. And then Elijah gives it to him or God gives it to him. Yeah. Also, so Baal Zibub, right? So there's different balls of different things. They're just kind of the different like, you know, gods around the area that people worship. Translates literally to Lord of the Flies. And like... You probably tell just by, like, the sound of the name. This is ultimately where the name Beelzebub comes from. It's sort of like in the New Testament, at some point, they recycle this old Baal of the Old Testament. Again, to kind of indicate that all these other groups, all the Canaanites, are whoever they're worshiping is bad, right? So we're going to make our demonic figures, right? Satan's right hand or Satan himself, depending, right? They, they mm-hmm. kind of go back and forth on who Beelzebub is. Right. Um, but that's, that's who they were worshiping the whole time, right? They were worshiping demons and Satan. Yes. So then Ahaziah does die, as predicted by Elijah, and Jehoram takes the throne. Yes, one of the Jer- Jehoroams. And it notes here that Jehoram, who takes over for Ahaziah, begins ruling in the second year of Jehoram of Judah, the other Jehoram. If you're confused, <laughs> it's going to get worse. worse from here. <laughs> I'm already confused. <laughs> Just wait. 
<laughs> okay. So, well, good news is Elijah is about to die, which means we won't have to deal with there being an Elijah and an Elisha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I also feel like I've met Elishas before that are spelled this way, and they're just Elijah. But you know what I mean? They're not like, you don't have to specifically pronounce it special. Yeah. They're, that's just another way of saying Elisha, I guess. So I, I don't know if I should be pronouncing it different or not. Well, I'm going to because otherwise it's we have a confusing. fucking podcast and they can't. <laughs> There's no captions. Yeah. Okay, so Elijah and Elisha are journeying to Bethel, and they both know that Elijah is going to go soon. I, like I, I don't want to say die because it's not really. I guess it's kind of what happens, but anyways, you'll see. So then they they go to Bethel, and then they go to Jericho together. Um, and every time they like city hop, Elijah is trying to leave Elisha behind, but Elijah, Elisha is like not having it. He's like, no, I'm going to stick beside you to the very end. And then also a thing that's happening in every city is everybody's just like, oh my God, Elisha, like, aren't you so sad that Elijah's <laughs> going to be dying soon? And he's like, yeah, but it's whatever. So then they end up in Jordan. And Elijah asks Elisha if he wants anything from him before he departs. And so Elisha asks for a double share of his spirit. Two scoops of his spirit. Two scoops of his spirit, please. And Elijah is like, whoa, that's a tall order. But um, I got a pretty good, pretty big spirit. (laughs) Big spirit. (laughs) They say I'm well endowed around here. (laughs) So I don't even know if that's possible for you to get. I'm a bit hairy, but I've got quite the spirit. Um, he says, but if you see me get taken away, then it's yours. So a chariot of fire and horses ascends from the heavens and takes Elijah away in a whirlwind. And Elisha does witness this, and then he tears off his clothes, which means that he gets the double scoop of spirit. Right. Which confused me because the way they describe it, it sounds like he's like blocked by the chariots and the fire and stuff. Mm. Like the way it that's reads, a part of it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess so. It, just, it read, read the way it read to me. It sounded like he couldn't see him, which was like, you know, kind of the whole point. But but then he of course gets his spirit or whatever. So. Yeah, and then he does a classic biblical move. He parts the Jordan River and then crosses it. That's like his first move once he gets his powers. Yeah, he's like, I gotta try this out. Um, and then, like, 50 people approach Elijah, and they're like, oh, like, this is our new guy. Like, this is our new prophet, Yeah, he's Lord got the guy. spirit of Elijah. Yeah. And Elijah's like, no, I've got two spirits <laughs> of Elijah. Yeah. And then they ask, they make a really funny request. They're like, um, is it okay if we go look around a little bit? Because we're a little worried that he didn't actually go into heaven. <laughs> yeah, <they're- laughs> that God just threw his body down somewhere. They're like, when he got picked up in that Sharknado, <laughs> we're just afraid he got like tossed onto a mountain somewhere. <laughs> so it's like, as if it's okay with you, we're just going to go take a look-see. <laughs> uh, but they don't find anything, because that yeah. dude's in heaven. <laughs> so, Elisha is the new it guy, so these city people come to him, and they're like, Elisha, Our city, great location, but the land is really bad and the water is bad. Like, what do we do? We're in a really nice spot, but we can't eat anything and we can't drink the water. So Elijah throws salt in the water, and then the water is good forever after that. Yeah. Also, there's a a part here I kind of forgot about. Like, before he goes and parts the waters, when Elijah got, like, taken up into heaven or whatever, he his, like mantle his hood uh like falls off mm-hmm. and so it's on the ground and so elijah picks up the mantle of elijah oh. and puts it on so that's the phrase you know to, to take up someone's mantle you know very symbolic wow okay so then after elisha fixes the water situation a bunch of small children start circling him and insulting him by calling him bald-headed yeah And he does not take kindly to it. No. (laughs) So he curses them. And then a she-bear comes out of the woods and mauls these freaking children to death. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Seems a a fitting punishment. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, this is like, we talk about this all this time, like, just kind of like the sheer, like, asymmetry mm. of, like, punishments in oh, yes. the Bible. And we talk all the time, like, just, like, ridiculous and, like, no person would consider that acceptable today. But Christians are going to, of course, have explanations for why this is totally okay. Number one of which is, like, I mean, they called him bald. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, basically, they're saying... He's bald because he's a priest, so they're, like, basically insulting God himself by calling him bald, which, again, is still kind of the point, because it's like God is the one who ultimately gives him the power to send these bears, and so, you know, an all-powerful God is so slighted by an insult by some small children that he feels the need to murder those children. With bears. With bears. And then the other claim is, oh, well, they're not necessarily, they're not, like, boys, they're just, like, they're, like, young men. Because some of the words in Hebrew that are used are, like, used in different contexts to mean different things. So this word that they use can sometimes mean lads, which Mm. would imply, like, young men are, like, teenagers. But, like, if you really look into it, it, it's clearly talking about children. Like, (laughs) most of the translations use children or something similar. And it's specific, like, the word that... The adjective that's in front of the word is small, small. or little, yeah. right? So like little, little lads, like yeah. small lads. Yeah, really hard to <laughs> so twist very that. clearly <laughs> like talking about boys and also, you know, teenagers and young men don't usually use like simple taunts like go up bald head. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that they say is, well, they're like basically telling him to go fucking die. Right, because they're saying go up, and that's what happened to Elijah. Mm. Is that he like went up in the sky? So they're like telling him to die. Yeah, but that word—it's another translation issue because it translates to to go up, but go up is also just the word they use for go. They'll say that somebody went like go up to Jerusalem. It means to go to Jerusalem. So they're just like telling him to go away. Right. So then talks about how Jehoram is reigning over Israel and. Spoiler alert, in all these little sections, they say that none of these kings were good kings, that they were all, like, evil and did bad things. But Jehoram at least removed a ball statue. Yeah. So he had that going for him. He keeps his golden calves. Mm-hmm. His, they're good-looking calves. <laughs> um, this, and this is where it gets confusing, right? Because it tells us that in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat of Judah, Jehoram becomes king of Israel and reigns 12 years. But we just said a little bit ago, that Jehoram became king in the second year of Jehoram. Yeah. Who is the son of Jehoshaphat, right? So I would say this is a contradiction. The, like, common explanation for this is that there's a co-regency. So Jehoshaphat makes his son co-regent king over Israel for the last... um, couple of years or last few years of his uh reign yeah i mean like i'm at the point where where when i'm reading the bible it's just like there's a lot of there's a lot of numbers thrown at me and there's a lot of different names and i just take all of it and just try to keep i'm just like trying to stay on the same thread i feel like every time a new section starts i have to get my bearings again like okay like who is doing the thing? And then like, where are we at again? Cause there's just no, there's not a straight line anywhere. Like there's not a plot. Yeah. There's well, just. <laughs> and the thing is that, it, you know, it's obviously it's all made up for the most part, right. With some, you know, some, some like basis for it in, in terms of stories that people recognize or like names that they know. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to make up a story, why, why like why make so, so many different characters? <laughs> 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 why, why have like 20 different kings that reign for two years instead of a couple that you can actually remember? Yeah. So Moab is acting up again. This time they aren't sending their sheep over to Israel like they were before. So Jehoram asks the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, to march with him, and he agrees. They also are joined by Edom. And these three kings are marching together, and after like seven days, they run out of water. And they're like, oh, fuck, like, what do we do? (laughs) I thought you brought the water. (laughs) (laughs) 
so then they're like, okay, where can we get a man of God? We need a man of God to talk to God for us to figure out like what we should do. We ran out of water. Like what's the next move? So then Elisha's name is brought up and he's like, look, like I would not even glance in your direction if it weren't for the fact that I do kind of like the king of Judah. So find me a musician and I'll help you guys out. Right. Which weird request. <laughs> like no other times has a musician been needed for yeah. God to flow through. <laughs> but um, and it's never brought up again. Uh, he doesn't need a music. It's not like Elisha's thing. Like Elisha like needs musicians to right. hear God. He needs the. Um, he but, needs to get. He needs to get in his flow. Yeah. So a musician is brought to him, and while the musician is playing, the Lord comes over him, and he. Um, and he tells them that the Lord will fill the wadis with water, and then they will defeat Moab. So the next day it rains, um, the wadis are filled, and all the armies uh, get to drink. And then when the Moabites rise early to go and fight them, they see all these filled pools of water. And I the way it's described, I guess the way the sunlight hits the pools of water, it looks like blood. So then they all look at each other and they're like, oh, like the three kings must have turned on each other and like kill each other. So like, that's great for us. Now we can just go down there and like loot everything. And that's awesome. So then they go over there. They did not turn on each other. So then they'd get defeated. Um, and so, they're lo- so the Moabites are losing this battle against the three kings. And then King Moab sacrifices his firstborn son, which if we know anything about God, that is like his, you know, end all be all of moves. (laughs) Um, And so then a great wrath comes upon Israel. So then they withdraw, which, yeah. So to me, this is like one of two things, either sacrificing his firstborn son. Yeah, they sacrifice his firstborn son to a different God. And that God responded with wrath over Israel. Right. Who And that God also overpowered, you know, the one Israel's God. Or the Israel's God was like, cool, firstborn son. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite explanation. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the one I like is that he, he liked it so much that he switched sides. Yeah. Like, I respect it. I respect it. I'll do anything for a firstborn son sacrifice. <laughs> I'm a little slut for firstborn sacrifices. <laughs> um, yeah, as, and it was like a burnt offering too. He just loved the smell. You know, yeah, like, of mm. burning child, burning firstborn. Yeah, and so, like, at this point in the battle, too, he had 700 swordsmen left, so, right? Like, he's, like, kind of, like, pretty depleted on his, you know, his armies and stuff. So I've seen some explanations where they try to sell this as, like, well, what happened was he did this sacrifice, and the men of Moab were so enraged by, like, the death of the firstborn of their king that then they kind of rallied and beat the Israelites. Yeah, nothing to rally under your... I'm so mad at my king, I'm going to go fight extra hard for him. Yeah. So there's a few problems with that. One is that, like, there's 700 of them. They were already losing the battle, and they already had retreated to their their city. Like, they're not equipped to, to win this, right? So there's no way they're winning this battle without, like, divine intervention. Two, if you go back, God promised that they would win. Yeah. He said, I'm going to deliver Moab into your hands. And there's no indication that Israel did anything wrong, or that Israel or Judah, right? That any of this army did anything wrong. There's nothing like stated about them slipping up. They they follow exactly what he says mm-hmm. to a T. And then they still lose the battle. So one, it's like a failed prophecy. And two, again, either either they're saying that Shemosh, which is the god of of Moab, is real and like powerful enough to defeat Yahweh, mm-hmm. or that Yahweh switched sides. Which realistically, the, the answer is that it, it that it's the first one because the Israelites in this time in history were not truly monotheistic. Mm-hmm. They believed that other gods existed, but they understood Yahweh to be their god and Shemosh to be the god of other people. Mm-hmm. So they would have would have believed that such a sacrifice had the power to do what it did. 
So then these next set of stories is just a series of Elisha performing miracles, kind of similar to Jesus, actually. So the first one is Elijah and the widow's oil. So a widow goes to Elijah and says, uh, you know, since my husband died, these creditors are trying to steal my children from me and enslave them because we owe them a bunch of money. And she's like, all I have to my name is this pot of oil. He tells her to go collect as many vessels as she can and then keep filling them up from her little pot of oil. So she does this, and when she runs out of vessels, she goes to Elijah, and she's like, okay, now what? And he's like, okay, just go sell all that oil that you produced and then repay your debts. Right. Which is telling for what they think of women that she hadn't, like, figured out where this was going, that she's filling these she's like okay now i have all this fucking oil (laughs) thanks (laughs) (laughs) what about my sons okay i like this next one so in this next one a savvy wealthy woman keeps inviting elijah over for dinner and he keeps joining her for meals and such and she is convinced that he is a holy man and so she like tells her husband this and so she i mean he is a holy man and she's like hey husband we should build Elijah his own room at our place so that way when he comes over he has a place to stay the night and stuff so they do this and my husband's like totally yeah it <laughs> makes sense <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Elijah is in his like new room at the wealthy woman's house and he has her called over and he's like he talks to his servant and he's like okay ask her what she wants from me in return for like this kindness and so then his servant is like, okay, yeah, like what he said. And she's like, oh, I don't really, I don't really want anything. Like I'm good. And so he's like, okay, um, well, you're going to get a son. And she says that, what do you think she says, audience? She says, my husband <laughs> is too old. How will I ever? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like something that can happen. And honestly, in this one especially, it really feels like the subtext is elijah has sex with oh yeah her. <laughs> because um surprise she does she does get a son and <laughs> she's like you know how we got that room to let this man stay in our house well now i have a kid <laughs> yeah <How did laughs> unrelated <this> fact <laughs> he said it was gonna happen and it did <laughs> So then this son is out in the field one day and he starts complaining of a headache. So he like runs to his dad or his quote unquote dad. And he's like, oh my God, like I have this awful headache. He like passes out and pretty much appears to be dead. So then the Shumamite woman, the wealthy woman, she goes to get Elijah and her husband is like, Ooh, why are you going to go? Why are you going to go get him? I don't understand. Cause he hasn't put it together. <laughs> and then she's like, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to go get Elijah. So she goes to him and she's like, I didn't even, you were the one who told me I was going to have a son. And like, now he's dead. And so Elijah is like, okay, like I'm going to give you my staff and then you're going to go to him and lay my staff on his head. And she's like, no, I don't want that. Like you're coming with me. This is your son. You're coming. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does go with her. They do the staff trick. It doesn't work. So then he like smushes his face against the boy's face. And then the boy sneezes seven times and is obviously alive. Necromancy. Mm-hmm. In his next trick, Elisha purifies a pot of stew. So there's a famine, and he asks his servant to put on a pot of stew. So his servant goes and gathers a bunch of herbs and then puts them all in the stew. And then as the people are eating the stew that Elijah's servant made, they're like, oh my God, like, we can't eat this. There's a poison herb in here. We're all going to die. And so and then Elijah is like, okay, wait, hold on a second. And he throws some flour in the stew and is like, everybody keep eating it. <laughs> <laughs> and they were fine. And then for his next miracle, it's a classic Jesus one. He has 20 loaves of bread and he feeds 100 people with leftovers. There's more to spare. Which was a surprise to me. I didn't realize that Jesus wasn't the first person to do that. I didn't know Jesus was alleged to have done that. You don't remember that? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a classic um, Jesus miracle story. Hmm. Feeds every, But there's fish involved, too. Mm. You'll know. You, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So now we are moving to a separate place, not separate time, separate place. There's this guy named Naman, who is a commander of King Aram's army, and he suffers from leprosy. And his wife has a servant girl who was captured from Israel. And so she's like mentioning like, oh, my God, like if my prophet were here, then you could be cured of leprosy. So they're like, okay, wait, back up. Like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, well, like, you know, over in Israel, like this guy is really tight with God. He can cure stuff like this. So Naaman tells his king what this little girl said. And then going off of this girl's word, the king writes a letter to the king of Israel. And he's like, hey, I'm sending my commander to you. I want you to cure him of his leprosy. The king of Israel gets this letter. And he is so infuriated by it, he tears his clothes off. And he's like, does he think I'm a god? He thinks I can, like, cure this man of his leprosy? Like, what's he doing to me? And Elijah is like, whoa, chill out. Like, that's exactly in my wheelhouse. Like, I can (laughs) cure him of leprosy. This is my favorite trick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the man arrives, and he's like, okay, I'm here. Hear me. And Elijah tells him to go bathe seven times in the Jordan. And again, another man getting irrationally angry over I don't know what. He's like, I could have just bathed in the rivers that are near where I live. Why did I come all this way to go bathe to be clean? So he's like, not going to do it. And then his servants are like, okay, like, did he ask you to do anything that difficult? Like, why don't you just go give this a try? So he does it and then he's cured. And so he's like, Elijah, I really owe you one. Like, what can I do for you? And Elijah's like, I don't need anything. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you some piles of dirt. And then he goes back on his way back home. And Elijah's servant, whose name is Gehazi, he thinks that Elijah let this guy off way too easy. So he goes back to him and is basically like, hey, um, so Elijah changed his mind. He would actually like some money for curing you of leprosy. So uh, Naaman is like, okay, like, that sounds fair. It gives him the money. Gehazi goes back and acts like everything is cool. Elijah, of course, knows what happened. And so he curses him with leprosy. I think the story is interesting because it's like an example of kind of the dutiful slave trope. I That's the vibe that I got too. It's like, yeah, she's like captured and then she's very concerned for her master because of course she like, I mean, she loves this man. Yeah. He captured her. Well, and I was also <laughs> thinking too, even with like Gehazi, I was getting the, not the dutiful slave type, but just like the like, like not very bright. Yeah. Well, yeah, thing going yeah, on. I guess, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. like an because he's he's just like a simple like. Yeah, Gehazi. I guess I hadn't even really thought about because he's like a servant, but it seemed to be like his his trade. You know, there's like servants or whatever. Like this girl was like captured from a different place. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like captured in war and taken back. You know, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I, you kind of expect that when it comes to slaves of the Israelites, because obviously Israel's like they of course they'd rather be here with us, yeah. right? But this is an Israelite slave to another mm-hmm. kingdom that's like an enemy of Israel, right. kind of. And they're like, I mean, women love whoever is in possession of them. That's just how women work. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you would think maybe there would be like a reward. Like, okay, well, I'm going to free you now. Because you, you know, oh, yeah. Leprosy, well, what is she going to do? Go get married to someone? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now, Elijah and the boys are trying to build themselves a new home. So they're down by the Jordan, cutting down some trees. And one of them drops his axe in the Jordan. And so Elijah throws a stick in the water and makes the iron float. So the guy can get his axe back. Cool trick, Elijah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. I'd pay to see it. (laughs) Oh. All right. So the Armeans are trying to attack Israel. But they can never seem to do it because Elijah keeps getting information from God on where the Arameans are going to be camping. And so the Arameans are convinced that there must be a spy among them. And they're like, no, 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 there's no spy. It's just like this guy, Elijah, is really close with God. And so God keeps telling him where we're going to be. So they're like, okay, so then the solution is, is we need to go kill Elijah. So he sends an army after Elijah. And then, you might have to correct me. I don't know if I read this right. This one got weird for me. So the army is 
about to attack Elisha, and Elisha prays to God to blind them. So he does. And then Elijah leads the blind army to Samaria and then unblinds them. And then they're like, should we defeat Samaria? Like they're all looking at each other. And he's like, no, you're going to feed them. So they do. Did it get that anywhere? Because uh, <laughs> to me, no. did not make sense. <laughs> so he, yeah, so he takes them to Samaria, right? He's like telling them, you know, this is like, follow me, you're blind, you, like, you're going the wrong way. He <laughs> leads them to Samaria. Okay. And then as soon as they enter the city, he, he opens their eyes. Yeah. And then the king of Israel is like, can I kill him? Oh. Please, I, I want to kill these guys. Okay. And then uh, Elijah's like, no, 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 don't kill him, beat him, right? Because it's like, we're going to show what gracious hosts we are, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they, they do that. They eat. And then they went home. And they're like, they make some good food over there in Samaria. <laughs> Pretty tasty. I don't think we should attack those guys. <laughs> and so they no longer come raiding into the land of Israel. Right. Of course. Silly me. I don't know how I messed that up. <laughs> oh, my God. This next part gets wild. Yeah, okay. this next part is great because, like, they no longer come raiding into the land of Israel. And then the next title is they come raiding into the land of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, so, so, so there's a famine in Samaria, and it is just like the wild, wild west, like Mad Max, Fury Road out in Samaria. So people are eating donkey heads and paying exorbitant amounts of money for dove poop to eat that, I presume. And the king is like walking the streets, and this woman asks him for help, and he's like, I'm not going to help you, but just like out of curiosity, like, what, what were you going to ask me? And she's like, so I'm in this situation where I made an agreement with my neighbor that last night we would eat my son, and then tonight we were supposed to eat her son. But, so last night we ate my son, and tonight, we're, while we're supposed to be eating her son, well, she's gone and hid her son. So she's not holding up her end of the bargain. <laughs> and the king is <laughs> and that's just the like... Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he looked tasty. <laughs> <laughs> So the king is just like, what is happening? Like, and so he blames Elijah for this. He's like, all right, we, uh, I need Elijah's head today. Like, this is outlandish. Like, none of this is okay. Elijah needs to die for this. Um, so Elijah sees the people coming from him. And he's like, you know what? All these troubles come from the Lord. So why should I hope in the Lord anymore? Which again furthers our thing that this God is evil. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good God. Okay, but then shortly after him being like, okay, why should I put hope in the Lord anymore? He then predicts that by tomorrow all the prices are gonna go back to normal and things are gonna be fine. And so then the captain who's gonna kill him is like, All right, well, if the Lord made windows to the sky, then I don't think that that would happen. Which I could I feel like I could really dive into why that makes no sense. <laughs> but I'm just going to ignore it and yeah. keep going on. So then Elijah tells him, because, you know, ye have little faith, mm-hmm. now you're going to die for cracking that joke. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, you're going to see this happen, but you will not partake of it. So I'm gonna, you're going to first see that you're proven wrong, and then you're going to die. Yeah. All right. So then scene cut to four leprous men hanging outside the city gates and they are debating like what their options are. So they're like, okay, if we go into this city, then we're going to die. If we stay out here, we're going to die. We could go to the Armenian camp and they might accept us and then we might live or they might reject us and then die. But going there seems to be our best chance at survival. So they decide to go there. And upon their arrival, they find the camp abandoned because God made them all think that they heard the sound of horses approaching. So they thought that they were under attack and then they fled. So the men, uh, they start looting a tent. They're like eating good. They're stealing things from the tent and squirreling them away in another place. And they come back and they do this to another tent. And then they're looking around at each other and they're like, maybe what we're doing is bad. And maybe if we got caught doing this, then they would kill us. 
So I think we should go tell them what the situation is so that way like they don't find out about this and then think we're traitors or something. So they go to the city gates and they shout up at the people. They're like, hey, like they aren't there anymore. So the king hears about this and he's like, all right, they just must be aware that we're going through a major famine right now. And so they're just hiding out right now to draw us out and then they'll attack us. So he sends out scouts. They go out. They just find a bunch of abandoned stuff. So they come back and report that they really are gone. And so then the people come out of the city and loot the abandoned Armean camp. And the prices go down like Elijah predicted because they all have like food and stuff again. And then the captain who was a non-believer is trampled by the people. Yeah. And that's what he gets. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you remember that wealthy woman that Elijah impregnated? Yeah. <laughs> so Elijah warns her that there will be a famine. And so she moves to the Philistines for seven years. And then after those seven years are up and things are good again, she comes back home and she goes to the king to petition to get her like land and home back. And it just so happens that at that moment, the king is asking Gehazi about, he's like, hey, just tell me some wonderful things that Elijah has done. And so he's like, oh, well, there was this one woman who he brought her son back to life. And then she walks through the door and he's like, and that was that woman. That's her right there. <laughs> and so then the king is like, I don't know, I guess super impressed with this story. And he's like, yeah, I'll give you all your lands back. Yeah. And so he does. Mm-hmm. And that story goes nowhere in the context of this. <laughs> well, to me, it proves <laughs> that you should be getting with holy men. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this next part is called the death of Ben-Hadad. So... Ben-Hadad is dying. He sends his son to meet Elijah to ask him what his fate is going to be. So Elisha, this is the weirdest, one of the weirdest ones. Elisha tells him to tell his father that he will recover. But then he tells Hazael, the guy's son, I'm lying. He, he actually won't recover. And then Elijah starts crying. And Hazael is like, why are you crying? And he's like, because I know all the terrible things that you're going to do to Israel. And then he lets him walk away. Yeah. So, <laughs> so then, then Hazael goes to his dad and his dad is like, what did he say? He said, you're going to recover. And then the next day, Hazael smothers him to death. Yeah. <laughs> Also, like, does it say that Hazael is his son? I don't think it's I don't know. That. It got confusing. Yeah, Hazael like, just seems like to be son. a random person, which is why this whole thing is so weird. He just, like, tells this random guy that he's going to be king, and that's like a selection. Usually that's like, yeah, God wants this guy to be king. So Elijah picks, you know, the guy to be the king, but in this case, he's picking a guy who's going to do terrible things to Israel, so it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. All right. So Jehoram reigns over Judah. Nothing really happens. And this is another one that's confusing chronologically because Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat. So, right, this is not the Jehoram we talked about before. This is Jehoram of Judah, not of Israel. We talked about Jehoram of Israel before. Now we're in Jehoram of Judah. He becomes king. In the fifth year, Jehoram, son of Ahab. Although in this, in this story, they call him Joram, but it's the same person. Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, becomes king in the fifth year of Jehoram, son of Ahab. Which is weird because we said that Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, was already ruling for at least a year when Jehoram, son of Ahab, became king. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, <laughs> which is supposedly explained by the co-regency. So this is talking about when he becomes the sole king mm. of Judah rather than the co-regent with his father, Jehoshaphat. Got it. Again, don't really buy it, but that's, that's what the supposed explanation is. Okay. Okay. Um, 
So they've had a we've had a string of bad kings. And so finally, God and Elijah have had enough. Elijah tells somebody to go to this man named Jehu and pour oil on his head and tell him that he will be the next king of Israel. Um, so they go and do this. And then they also like make this whole thing about Jezebel again and about how like all of this stems from all of these bad kings come from Jezebel and she's actually the real root of evil in all of this. And so Jehu is going to like kill her too. And yeah, get rid of all that. Right. Bad stuff that she caused. Yep. There's also a part in that previous story that Isaiah reigns over Judah, where they talk about Elijah sends a prophet to meet Jehu. And when he anoints him and stuff, he like afterwards goes out and talks to the other captains. Right. And they're like, what did that fucking madman have to say to you? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know the types, like babbling lunatic. Yeah. And they're just like, liar, tell us what he said. Like, <laughs> Which is like, you yourself said he was a madman. Yeah. And then, so he tells them everything. And then they're like, oh my God, you're the king. Which yeah. He's like, you guys didn't, you guys Sound thought he trumpets. was a madman. <laughs> and then you just take this story and they're like, yeah, he's king now. And then Isaiah becomes the king in the 12th year of Jehoram son of Ahab. So that time apparently doesn't include the co-regency in that timeline. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess we're on to Joram of Israel is killed. The Jehu sets out for Jezreel and he's intending to surprise him. So he tells all the other people that are there, don't let anyone out of the city with this news. We're going to keep this a secret. And Joram sends out messengers I guess he's suspicious already. I don't really know why, because this is one of his captains that's coming up to the city. And he sends out messengers to ask him if he's, like, coming in peace or what. And each time he says the same thing. He's like, what do you know of peace? Follow me. And they're like, okay, I'll follow you. <laughs> and I remember I kept <laughs> so reading they, that line, they keep, but what yeah, do you know of peace? They keep joining him. Yeah. So they get through two messengers, and finally, like, Jehoram's like, okay, we're going to go out to meet him ourselves. So he goes out to meet him, and he's like, are you coming in peace? And then Jehoram's like, no, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) So he sneak attacks him with an arrow and kills him. And at the time, Ahaziah is with Jehoram, because Jehoram was already injured. Mm -hmm. They had gone to war together, and and Jehoram had gotten injured in battle, and Ahaziah was visiting him. And so he, they leave his body on Naboth's land because we're going back to that whole prophecy before where he took Naboth's vineyard and killed Naboth. Mm-hmm. And they, they declare the prophecy is fulfilled. Okay. Yeah. So it's Jezebel's turn now. Yeah. So Jezebel? Well, it's actually Ahaziah's turn now. Oh, sorry. So Ahaziah is also there and he sees this. He's like, okay, this guy <laughs> is crazy and like starts running off and then he gets shot, but then he like continues to flee and he gets to Megiddo, but then he, he still dies and then he's buried in Jerusalem because Judah, we still like them even if they do bad things. And so they get to be buried, unlike Israel. Got it. And in the 11th year of Joram, Isaiah, they repeat the same thing about in the 11th year of Joram, Isaiah began to reign over, Is- over Judah, which is a contradiction because before they said that it was in the 12th year of Joram. So to explain that, they introduce a second co-regency. <laughs> <laughs> so Isaiah is also co-regent with his father, Jehoram, because that's the only way the story works. And if we have to assume that the story is true, even if it contradicts itself, we make up reasons that the contradiction isn't a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, their whole tactic of just confuse, deny, gaslight, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> You're buying it. <laughs> I'm, I have to buy it. Nothing. <laughs> I don't know up from down anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right, now we're on to Jezebel. Okay, so Jezebel. Like the queen she is, she does her makeup before meeting death. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets tossed out of the building. They make this like little graphic explanation of her blood splattering on things and people. And then 
when they go back to retrieve her body, all that's left of her is her skull, palms, and feet. Yeah, because the dogs ate her up, just like the prophecy. Yeah. And in this story, the way she gets thrown out is like, Jehu just calls up and is like, hey, somebody up there, throw Jezebel out. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's three eunuchs, which is the first I've heard eunuchs mentioned in the Bible, but they throw her out. And so... I, I like I looked into it because like, I like this first I've heard of of eunuchs being like a thing. And I wasn't sure if they were common in like you know ancient Hebrew culture. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get a clear answer on that because I think most people who believe in this stuff would probably believe that Hebrews didn't do that because they want them to be the good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like unclear if they did that in their culture commonly, but it was definitely common in Egypt and uh, Assyria or. Mm-hmm them to have like eunuchs that I guess the idea was that if you have a king and you want them to have servants around and like mentors a eunuch is less they're not as much of a threat Mm. that's what I learned about eunuchs (laughs) (laughs) and that's your feelings on (laughs) (laughs) all right so Jehu has taken over But Ahab had 70 sons, so he has a few things to clean up first before he feels comfortable (laughs) sitting on the throne. So he starts writing out all these letters to the guardians of Ahab's uh, children. So I guess they're spread out everywhere. And he's like, hey, if you want a chance at this throne, come out and fight me. And so the guardians write back for all of the king's children. And they're like, no, we don't want any of this. Just do whatever you see fit. So Jehu writes another letter to all of them. And this one says, all right, then kill your masters and bring me their heads. So then all of the guardians of Ahab's children do this. And they put all the little children's heads in a nice little gift basket to bring to Jehu. So then Jehu leaves this basket of heads outside for everybody to see. And then he kills the guardians who killed the children for him. Yeah. So really clean and shop here. Then later on, he runs into some other relatives of King um, Ahaziah, and he kills them too. He takes this guy named Jehonadab for a ride in his chariot, and then kills anyone else related to Ahab in Samaria. Yeah. All right, so after he kills all the relatives, descendants of Ahab, now he's going to take care of the Baal worshippers. So he tells all of the Baal worshippers that they're not going to want to miss this like awesome offering that he's going to give to Baal. And they have to come see it, because if they don't, he'll kill them. So then they all attend, and then he kills all of them. And nobody's picked up on Jehu's <laughs> thing yet, either, apparently. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll go like meet up with Seems Jehu. like a man of his word. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and I don't have any more notes, so. Yeah, and so, so then after that, we get the statement on Jehu's character. So every king in Israel and Judah, you pretty much get a statement of their character. And Judah is usually hit or miss, right? Like some of them are... Some of them are good, and for the most part, except for you know little things here and there, and some of them are like are are bad. Um, Israel is pretty much universally bad. Yeah, and the main thing that is kind of the marker of whether they're good or bad is whether they remove the high places or not. Mm-hmm. That's like the number one thing because the whole point of the Deuteronomist history is to support the idea of the central temple, right? The temple is where you do all your worship and we have to keep that. You have to come to Jerusalem to do your offerings and stuff and nowhere else can there be offerings. And so with Judah, a lot of them was, Oh, except he didn't remove the high places. So they kind of like passively insert it because they like Judah and kind of make excuses for them. But Israel, they really like play that up as like they kept these high places and they were terrible and they did terrible things. So next is the death of Jehu. He reigns for 28 years, which is pretty long for these kings. And Israel keeps losing land because God doesn't like Israel. Mm-hmm. And then Athaliah reigns over Judas. This is the first female 
ruler that has existed in Israel or Judah so far. We've had, I think there was one in Egypt that was mentioned at some point, but not in Israel. So Athaliah takes over, and I think you can pretty well guess she's not going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) So she decides she's going to kill the entire royal family to ensure that nobody's going to take over the throne. She doesn't want a boy becoming six years old and them deciding he's probably better to be king than her. (laughs) (laughs) So she starts doing that, which is like, I mean, if that's what she wanted, why didn't she kill them earlier, right? The best time to kill your kid is when he's born. (laughs) She could have killed uh, Azaya a long time ago, but didn't. So I, I don't know what the deal there is. And then one of them escapes. So it's not his mother, but like another woman, I think it's like Jehoshiba or something like that, takes one of the boys, Je- uh, Joash, and hides him away for six years. So then Jehoiada, a- another priest, he eventually comes and like anoints Joash to be the next king. So he puts all the captains under oath to guard him, and he anoints him as king. Then uh, we have the death of Athaliah. So Athaliah is killed along with the priests of Baal, and they burn the temple of Baal. So it's pretty similar to like the previous one where they collect them all in one place, and they murder them all and burn down the temple of Baal. And so Jehoash, who's seven years old, begins to reign. Yay for child kings. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he begins his reign in the seventh year of Jehu. And he's pretty good, but he also doesn't remove the high places. And he's, like, really all about, you know, this broken window policing. So he's really all about the aesthetics. So he really wants to clean up the temple, make it look good. And so he's pushing on priests to repair the temple and to use the offerings and stuff to repair it. But they keep pocketing it. And so then he demands it again. He's like, stop taking offerings if you're not going to repair the temple. And so finally they do. And... They get all fixed up. He ends up reigning for 40 years. And then Hazel's back again. So he's threatening to attack Jerusalem. And so Jehoash, being, you know, probably 10 at this point, <laughs> decides, <laughs> I'm not going to war with this guy. <laughs> and he's just like, how much money do you want? <laughs> and he collects all the gold in the temple and all the gold in the palace and just sends it out to uh, Hazel. and. Hazel's like, yeah, that'll about do it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and then we have the death of Joash, who, I guess at 47, he's murdered by Josachar, son of Shimeath, and Jehoshabed, son of uh, Shmur, and he's buried in the city of David. And he gets succeeded by Amaziah. And yeah, that's, I think we're going to leave it off for this week. Yep. We had a whole bunch of kings with all the same names. Yeah. And they all did kind of the same stuff. Yep, that about sums it up. (laughs) Welcome to the Bible. (laughs) All right, well, thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Bye.